Okay, before we get started, happy to announce our new proud partnership with Spadex Print and Design. The Defence Force community finally has its very own print shop. From business cards, banners, table throws, and all your display needs, iconic for stickers and labels. They also build websites. So support Australian veteran-owned business, proud to have served, Spadex Print and Design. And they also have launched a new website for Australian military stickers called King's Corporal. King's Corporal do personalized ribbon stickers, custom military stickers, and it's veteran-owned business, which is even better. So get involved, support the cause, www.kingscorporal.com.au. Hey, Shane. 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 Yeah, yeah, mate, yeah. What are you drinking there? Oh, just a bit of tea, mate. Bit of, so was that tea? Yeah, tea, you know, it helps relax me, calms me down. Okay, well, put that shit down. Actually, you know what? Throw it out. I don't even want to fucking Can see it in I my face just right now. Finish it no, no, first. don't finish it. You know why? We got a bag of Australian Warfighter coffee sitting in the kitchen, ready to go. What the fuck is that? You you telling me you never heard of Australian Warfighter coffee? No. Let no. me hit you with some knowledge, bro. Jeez, you sound so revved up about this. Yeah, I've had about three cups of it already. Okay, I'm re- I'm ready to go, <laughs> mate. It's veteran-owned, veteran-operated. Mm-hmm. They're raising awareness for veteran issues. Mm-hmm. They give back to the veteran community. What's better than that? Well, nothing. Exactly. So, like I said, throw the tea out. AustralianWolfighterCoffee.com. Check it out. That was empty, right? Yeah. All right, good. Welcome back to the Maladjusted Monkeys podcast. I'm Tommy Archer, joined always by my favorite co-host. Somehow he keeps getting a jersey for this. It's Mr. Shane Club. G'day, Tommy. G'day, mate. And today we've got a very special guest. It's... Mike Hanley from the Red Six app. Hey guys, how you going? Good, mate. Welcome. How are you? Yeah, good, guys. I'm, I'm glad I finally made the effort to get up here and say good day. You're a hard man to get hold of. You and me have been talking for a little while now, and just schedules never, you know, line up. But uh, thanks for making the drive, mate. It's, it's a pleasure. I'm just like I apologise in advance. It's, it's I am busy, and um, you know, being a family man too. You know, I, I really um, try and put some time back into my kids because I'm I'm so busy and. And like for me, sometimes you know, my my work is is twenty four seven. I've got people calling me all hours and night yep. in need. So, you know, I've got a I can't burn the candle at both ends. I do, I do have to take some time out of myself, which I still don't. <laughs> and I get in trouble at home with my wife. But look, guys, I'm I'm just glad I finally got up here. Yeah, mate. Well, no, we appreciate are, it. Yep. And uh, obviously. We want to talk about the Red Six app. It's doing great things for mental health in the North shirts, community. Well, like, oh, <laughs> yeah, just, just found these through yeah, the line, you know. Red Six shirts lying around. <laughs> Before we get into the app, can you just tell us a bit about uh, your history with the military and it, you know everything that led up to the Red Six app? Oh yeah, how long have we got? Mate, all, day. all day, all day. I start all work right. at ten. So <laughs> all right, so um, I'll start. Look, I was um, I was a young, obviously young, young bloke. I grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney. Penrith was was my hometown. Um, parents separated when I was 13 and pretty much from then on, um, my group of friends were all pretty much come from single homes. So we all looked after each other. We had a little brotherhood. We're actually all in, into break dancing and graffiti. And oh my God, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and the guys I hung around were quite good. You know, they, they actually used to go to all the blue light discos because we were all still under 18 at that stage. Didn't drink, didn't smoke. You know, we just... It was all about breakdancing. We might so. have to get you to show us some moves after the <laughs> podcast. Yeah, I'm 48. Unless I'm drunk in my life. So we, um, yeah, we, we looked after each other, and there was days because my man worked for the police in New South Wales. He was a, a guy who would do you know, double shifts, so I'd never see him. Um, and, and the mums would look after us all, the single mums, basically, you know, 
make sure we had a, a meal that day and um, and the guys in general were just looking after big brothers type thing. So down the track, you know, it was funny. I sort of had an out-of-body experience where I thought, you know what, one day I'm going to get married and have kids and want to buy a house. How am I going to do that if I'm just doing dead-end shit, you know, yeah. break dancing and looking for the next opportunity? Because <laughs> we used to just party up on the Gold Coast every six months and go back home again to Sydney and just do shit jobs with no future. And it happened that my sister's boyfriend at the time, she was two years older than me and he was, he was one year older, um, he went and joined the military. So basically he went down to the Defence Force Recruiting in Parramatta, did all the paperwork and um, he said to me, you should come down and have a look. And I think, you know, I was 17 at the time and I thought, I'll oh, come and have a look, you know. None the wiser. Walked in and recruited did a massive sale of me. They're <laughs> 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 good, up, aren't they? Oh, world-class <laughs> golf course. Gymnasium and swimming pool, you know, you'll get to use all these facilities. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you can, you can break dance there. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, oh, I was sold, signed the paper and away it went. So, three weeks later, we both went down to the uh, recruiting process and I've gone in, did your basic mass, arithmetic, you know, all that yeah. um, general knowledge type stuff, come out. And they said, look, as the day progresses, you'll get caught into different rooms and then if you progress, you know, you get caught, in, caught into your next room. And if not, you know, don't worry, you can reapply in six months' time. So I've come out thinking, you know, look, I've just done year 10, year 11 at school. I should be okay. Did the basic test, sat down and went, right, Mr. Handley. I went, shit, okay, next, next room. Went in and did my next test. Um, come back, sat down and I said to my mate Bruce, hey, Bruce, did you go and do that test? Trying to help him out in some capacity, just telling him what to try and say. Or for me, trying to get information on what I was about to, you know, go into. Um, he said, no, no, I haven't moved yet. I said, mate, it's been like two hours, bro. You sure you haven't, you know, go up the front counter and check. And then I went off to my next meeting, come back again. Bruce, did you go on that one? No, nah, no. Nah. I said, shit, mate. I said, you better go up and ask him. Oh, Bruce goes up and discovers that, yeah, he didn't pass the basic. Oh, oh Bruce, <laughs> mate. So, um, at the end of the day, you know, he hung around. They kept saying, mate, go away, you know. <laughs> so, he's gone and left and gone home and I think... My, my sister and uh, they broke up over that because that was their plan to join the military and, and yeah. get married quarter and live happily ever after. Um, so I've come, got to the very final stage. You know, we go and do the site test and I ask you, would you jump off a building, etc., etc. And uh, I remember the last thing was a guy leaned over the counter and said, congratulations, welcome to the Australian Army. So I thought, shit, I've done this. Gone home, told everyone, yeah, you know, I'm going to the Army. I got set a date, I think it was three weeks later, to get on the bus in Sydney. Two days prior, my mates take me out to town. So we get on a piss like you wouldn't believe. We're in Darling Harbour, having a drinking jugs of beer, you know. Uh, my nickname in those days was Barney Rubble. Oh, you should be short guy with the hair comb aside. They're going, Barney's going to the army, blah, blah. And they got me so drunk that I remember the last thing they yelled out was, we're going to the cross. We're taking Barney up the King's Cross and we're going to get a stripper on stage and he's going to do do the girl on stage. And I was like, um, hell no. <laughs> So on the walk up there, I said, oh, I've got to go to the toilet. And I run into KFC and I'm hitting the toilet. And they've all come in. I've heard them, you know, drunk, bouncing off the walls and having a laugh and stuff. And then there was dead silence and they'd gone. And they must have thought I was already on my way out there. Little they know, I've gone back and hopped on the train. <laughs> well, here's where the funny part starts. I'm on the train and three Aboriginals came down the train and said to me, oh, what size shoes have you got, mate? And I wasn't a big fighter back in those days. You know, I was a... I was a 
pretty well nervous guy. I didn't know what I was capable of. I never actually had too much training at all in that in that, in that form of um, self defence. Did a little bit of you know just the basic karate stuff, but nothing more. And here I'm faced with these three big burly Aboriginal guys saying, "We want your shoes, mate." And I said, "Oh, I tried to say that they were so big they wouldn't fit their feet." And then one of the blokes is king at me, you know, and got one of my shoes off, and basically we started a bit of a scuffle. Now, as I mentioned before, I was a bit of a break dancer and, and graffiti artist and stuff. So on the trains, there was a button you could push and it would release the door pressure. And, of course, you'd get, hang out the door and you could tag your name on the door. But you, all you used to do was lift up the seat and then access the button. So I'd actually lift the seat up because I was quite drunk. And the motion of the train was making me sick, so I knew I was going to vomit. So I've actually got this all set up anyway, about to go and have the spew, and these guys are coming to attack me. So I picked up the chair and started swinging it and hitting one of the guys with the chair and one bloke ran away. The other two touched me up quite well, took one of my shoes and ran off. And then we stopped off at Granville and then for no apparent reason, these coppers get on and they're onto me. You know, they handcuffed me, I'm on the ground and they said, um, I said, what's happened? Why are you handcuffing me? I was just attacked. And they said, oh, the guy next door in the next carriage said, for no apparent reason, you just got up and started beating these three average <laughs> and I went, really? Like, I'm dressed like this. I've been out all night. These guys have come past in tracksuits and thongs and stuff. It just doesn't make sense to me. And this guy just saw me get up for no reason. Yeah, yeah. I thought, this is a great story. So anyway, <laughs> it went through court. And it, again, you know, I had to ring the army and say, listen, I've just been charged. I won't come in. And they said, look, let us know what happens. And because you've told us a story now, we're quite interested to see what happens now. So I got charged for fair evasion, um, Malicious damage to state rock property, cool. and they tried to hang me for three counts of assault, which then anyway got got canned because obviously at the end of the day they can understand that. Well, I'm thinking that they understood that you know I wasn't in that position to um, attack three guys, but again being drunk they could have seen that that. Was yeah. Uh, but I said, look, they tried to take my shoes. Look, I've got one shoe, and the and the, the dickhead was hanging out of the train when the coppers were walking off, saying, you know. Thanks for the shoe, mate. And I went, well, why am I interested? <laughs> so anyway, I rang up the army and told them, and they said, mate, um, we can understand that. We'll send you out a new enlistment date, and off you go. So I then got on the, the, the big bus down to Kapuka. It's a long yeah. ride. Yeah. And, and, a lot of time to think. <laughs> <laughs> to escape. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and of course, the, the bus pulls up at various stops. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this is back in 1991. And what they used to do was they'd put a corporal on the bus who was one of your um, secos in your platoon yep. in disguise. <laughs> so this big bloke at the back, That's he, genius. Was just, he was just pretending that he was an actual new recruit. Oh, no. <laughs> he wasn't fitting in with everyone. He was just sitting in the back. And anyway, I'm sitting next to this long head, pot-smoking um, civvy, you know, and he was talking about weird stuff all the way down there. And every time we pulled up, He'd go for a bit of a walk and come back. And, of course, I knew what wind smelled like, you know, living out of Penrith in the western suburbs and in housing commission flats and things, you know. So you knew what it was. And um, I tried it, you know, back in the end of the day. But I could smell it when he came back all the time. I'm thinking, dude, are you smoking weed? And he showed me his ashtray. So he pulled out the ashtray from the bus handle and there was his little bag of weed. And I'm like, um, dude, we're running on the army, man. Didn't, didn't you decide to yeah. before you went in? Anyway, we got to the very gate. At Kapuka, and that's when the MPs come on and say, you know, we've got anything to declare, knives, weapons, drugs, and nothing will be said. But if you cross a line, it's a whole new world for you. And no one was speaking up. And I look at this dude like, I'm actually... <laughs> <laughs> He's a Didn't say a thing. And as the bus moved forward, old mate behind us, who was the corporal, 
Stop the bus. Stop the bus, stood up, walked down the aisle, grabbed that guy by the hair, <laughs> picked him up and threw him on the floor of the bus, lifted up the ashtray and grabbed his bag of weed and said, you idiot, get off the bus. You're not joining my army. And I tell you, we're oh all shit oh, scared. Fucking that oath. You know, we were like, holy hell. And we had no idea this dude was a corporal. Fuck, <laughs> fuck that's a different time where, ne- like, laying hands on a recruit where it's like, oh, yeah. oh recruit, now I'm going to touch you to adjust your webbing. That's what it's like now, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, that's, well, they, used to, they were telling me, like, not, I think it's, it's gone again, but they had a card. That's, oh, that's what I've heard. Is that true? That, Shane, you would know. I keep, I try to find out. I don't know how true that is. I'm, I'm not 100% Someone sure. Someone listening or watching knows. We're on, we're, let us know, because we need to confirm whether this is true or not. So we've all gone in, you know, and then basically uh, put in our tracksuits, gone into the mess, had our, had our food, uh, feed, and then the next day we got a hair shaved and we all, you know, basically for then on was just... Did you know at this point what call you were going into? No, no. <laughs> no so, did you know and have, have an idea what you wanted to do? No. No? No, I was just basically a generalist soldier. I had no idea about the military. Yep. My father was RAF for 20 okay. years. Um, UK, so he came over from um, England, Yorkshire, and then basically in Australia, he was part of the RAAF, uh, RAAF here, and then he, he got on with the police afterwards. He's a radio telephonographer, so he was on the communication. Oh, wow. Um, and I wasn't really, at 13, you know, I hadn't picked up too much on what his history was. We never mm-hmm. celebrated Anzac Day at my house. When mum and dad separated, you know, no, I didn't even, to be honest, I didn't even know he was in the military uh, at all until I actually joined and he said to me in passing, oh, oh son, I'm so proud, you know, you're, you're another generation who's joined the forces. Yeah. Um, and I was like, really? He said, yeah, his dad was in and, and went on all the way down the track. And I went, oh, okay, you know, and, and that was it for me, you know. So I became extremely green. And, and we'd gone on air, there was your bombardiers. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Yeah, of course. You know, you call, call him a corporal, and he'd make you do a thousand push-ups because he'd be screaming at you. I'm not a corporal, I'm a bombardier, and you, you just had no idea. Yeah. Um, so, for people who don't understand um, uh, the difference between the, there's like across the board the rank of corporal for different causes, some different names, and for, for artillery, one of those is, is bombardier, and they can become quite irate if you call them corporal. Very much so. <laughs> And when you're fresh in at Kapuka, <laughs> oh, you know, oh, God, sorry, Corporal. Oh, shit, I've been bothered here. Yeah, you were, you were so nervous, you didn't know what to do. Yeah. And, you know, look, we had a, a couple of um, infantry corporals there. There was a transport corporal uh, and, and two bombardiers. And basically, on the list of jobs that you were available, there was 40 for RAR. Yeah. There was two for transport. There was one for engineers, one for survey corps, and I think that was about it. I think we were the only one of those platoons that was just going to fill the gap yep. with infantry. And um, now I'm a big boy, you know, I was a six foot four, 110 kilo when I went in the army, um, so I was no marathon runner. <laughs> and I remember doing that pre enlistment <laughs> training yep. for one day. <laughs> said, run around, you know, and I, I ran around a block and thought, Jesus, run. It's got to be something easier than running. Yeah, just for the birds. <laughs> yeah. Is there going to be much of this on the course? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. So um, the, the transport corporal pulled me out and he goes, mate, he said, um, what do you want to do? And I said, anything but rain. <laughs> and he goes, I can, I can understand that. He said, you're, you're a big lad. Um, he said, you should look at transport as a job. And I said, mate, I don't even have a driver's license. Hell, hell, I'm going to drive vehicles, you know. Um and then I said, there's only two jobs there. And I said, mate, I'm not the, 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 the sharpest tool in the shed. He said, mate, just put an effort in and see how you go. Anyway, cut a long story short, um, 
I ended up getting transport. So I was quite happy, you know. It meant I could drive instead of running everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but the funny part of it is all my jobs was supporting the transport. I supported one hour. actually went to Somali with them, supported 2-4 back in the day, and then 3 hour Kangaroo 92. I was, so I was, I was with them anyway. Yeah. And, and a lot of times because we were a non-combat unit, even though we trained field force up in Townsville, um, we were always frowned upon. Yeah. And yeah, you're a pogue, you can't, yeah. you know, you don't carry a pack. It's like, you know, you, 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 you drive with your pack and everything. It's like, well, mate, you know, I understand that totally, you know. Uh, and I'm not going to say that I'm a I'm a combat truckie, you know, like some <laughs> So, mate, I'm a transport guy, I'm a truckie, you know, I just did yeah. this. And, of yep. course, um, when the, when Somalia came up in 1993, they chose 18 guys from our unit to go over there and support the, uh, the battalion. And um, we were getting ready to go on leave. And I just gone to Def Credit. Has they still got Def Credit? Yeah. The, the credit union the, on both? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And they'd give you money for anything. Like, you walk in and go, I need 10 grand. They go, just sign here, sir. Here's your money. It was this back in like 93. This was incredible. And um, I said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go to Early Beach with a mate. And we're going to get drunk. And we're just going to root our way around the goal, uh, Early Beach. Well, we actually have a budget calculator for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How much do you need to get? <laughs> I was buying this moat with just a topless moat to drive down and cruise down there and, and have a ball. And um, we went out that night before. We just started our stand down. So we've gone on the piss to celebrate that it's our first day on leave. And um, I'm lying in bed the next morning and I hear this. And I'm thinking it's my mate saying, come on, let's go and buy the car. Let's get run. I'm thinking, Scano, I'm still pissed from last night, mate. Just come back later. Scano, piss off. And it was... It's the RSM. Oh. I was like, oh. Uh, yeah, good on you, Scano. Clear <laughs> <laughs> Scano, right? Robert Hanley, open the fucking door. <laughs> well, he was a CSM, uh, SSM in our, in our unit. And um, I've rocked, I opened up the door and there he was. Just, you know, what are you doing, you clown? I said, oh, sir, we had a few beers last night, Ron. You know, I, went, oh, I don't want to leave. You know, can't I just tell you to piss yeah. off, Tangley? He goes, you can never tell me to piss off Handley, you know. <laughs> he said, get down to the unit. He said, the um, 2IC wants to speak to you. And I thought, I'm trying to I'm trying to ring Scanlon and find out, what the hell do we do? I've got the SSM on my door, man. I'm in the trouble big time. And I'm thinking, what have I done? <clears throat> and I rocked in and they said, look, one of our has requested two drivers to be deployed to Somalia with them. Now, we've gone through everyone possible in the unit, and basically, there's only two guys that we can actually think that could handle themselves in that environment, in combat, is you and another mate, Pete Masters. And now, Pete was a- Maverick big, and Goose. Yeah. <laughs> Pete was a big bloke, you know, and everyone feared him in the unit. And the funny story between me and Pete was, when I enlisted and got up there, one of the other blokes started a rumor that I was sleeping with Pete's girlfriend at the time. I didn't even know Pete. I didn't even know his girlfriend. And just through someone's drumming, drumming up some prop, some some drama, because every Wednesday we went to this thing called the bullpen. That's where you you had to show up and have some beers with the whole unit. And I'm like, rumor got back to me saying, "Oh, Pete's going to kill you when you get to this bullpen." Like, what for? <laughs> oh, for sleeping his girlfriend. I said, "What?" I said, "I haven't been out in town, man. I haven't done a thing." And they said, "Oh, yeah, you're in trouble." I feel like you're always in trouble, and you're always unaware. Things just don't fit out well for me. <laughs> Everything's going really well, then I'll get hit by lightning. You know? <laughs> I win lightning, I'll lose a ticket. <laughs> so I've got the bullpen and Pete's come up to me and I, and I said, mate, I've got no idea what the story, how it started, where it's come from, but mate, dude, I didn't sleep with your girlfriend. I don't even know who she is. And Pete, to his credit, 
pretty much had a big laugh at it and said, well, yeah, okay, man, that's cool, no drama. So anyway, that was a little bit prior to going to Somalia. Then we got to Somalia, and then we just became brothers for life because we were the two guys that had actually been deployed. So I've gone to their transport platoon, and I'm looking around and going, we need a driver to go to intelligence, the incel with infantry. And I'm like looking around thinking, okay, you know, no one's put up a hand. I'm thinking, dude, intelligence, you get to fly around choppers. James Bond. Yeah, you're doing all this shit when you have a you're getting all this information. I said, this sounds like a movie, I'm doing mm. it. Well, I'm waiting, thinking, being polite, I'll give all these guys a chance. No one said a thing. I went, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> so then I got shipped down to uh, Incel in Winterau, and I met the blokes there. And again, there was that standoffish thing, thinking, yeah, you were transport, blah, blah. But I was a, a, a big dude, and there was probably only one other guy there who was a little bit bigger, um, and he wasn't actually a, an ex-bouncer um, up, on the Gold Coast, uh, up at Townsville at the time too. So we sort of got along quite well. And... Um, it's one of those things, you know, once we got deployed, they said to me, mate, your vehicle stays there, you just become an infantry soldier like us. If you can change a puggery, which is, oh. you, 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 you uh, get a new um, thing you have, yep. same, same as us, blending really well. So I thought, this is great. And it, the, the, the good thing was, for me, I've always been a, a humorous guy. Like, humor was my, and I think you'll find in history, humor has become, whenever Australians are faced with adversity, Mm. there's that level of humour comes out to get you over that hump yeah. yeah so I did numerous things back in Somalia like I made a comic I found an old old comic and I got masking tape and put the masking tape over the, the captions and every night I'd write a few pages down about certain things that happened over there like that's there genius was, yeah there was a U, UD where uh, the tankies three quarter cab discharged with a 50 cal and, and about a minute later he yelled out snake and everyone sort of laughed and went what and like, come on mate if you're really going to do that you've got to do it a little bit quicker so I put all this in there and then I made the, the CEO of the whole operations um, he was smuggling in alcohol through the whole um, operation so anytime there was a bloke carrying a box I'd write VB and that was going to the CEO's office um, there was dancing girls and things and that and there was, and I started to put people in there that were actually in the CP tent at the time in headquarters that, that kept coming through and kept, and I kept getting to know them. So I used that as a bit of a bit of humour um, to break the ice. And then every morning they'd come in and have a, a six o'clock or seven o'clock brief on the events that happened over the last twenty four hours. So we had four maps in there. And I think towards the end of the operations, it was pretty much my main job yeah. because I start with a joke, and then all the sergeants and the lieutenants be writing the joke down and trickle back down the line to the blokes. Um, and I'd always have a, you know, there was picture in people magazines and I'd cut out funny things and put blokes' heads on there. And it was just, <laughs> just some fun. And it was funny because my boss at that time, um, uh, Lieutenant Captain Burns, he um, he picked up that I was actually going through a bad stage because, you know, I'd, I I was alone. I felt alone at, at a certain so I think it was probably the two months mark. I just really, something was not right. And um, he wrote a report about me and said, look, here's your report. So you just say, you know, a bit of feedback. And I'm reading this report, and I'm like, is this like really, is this really me? And it had me that my sense of humour was an asset to the section and a defuse many a, a tense situation within the CP. And uh, I'm like, holy, yeah, these blokes actually like me. <laughs> and then fast forward to the 20 year reunion, um, it was, there was no like, you were a pogue. And yeah. You know, it was like, you were a brother. And at the end of it, they actually gave me the ICB. Oh, fuck oh, yes. Really? Yeah. yeah. So you imagine I've got these blokes, they're in tears, handing me this medal, and I burst into tears knowing how much it actually meant. Yeah. Um, and they said, mate, we know technically you can't wear that badge on Anzac Day. And I said, yes, I can. I'll put it on the inside of my pocket, wait close to my heart. 
Fuck yes. Everyone listen to the ICBG <laughs> Infantry Combat Badge, which obviously it, only those that are in the infantry that served overseas can wear the ICB, but um, yeah, mate, to, to, for them to give you that, yeah. that's a big thing. Yeah, it was his own one too. Which is oh, one. really? Yeah, he just took it off his, wow. off his oh, shirt, wow. uh, off his jacket and said, mate, you know what? And he said, there's nothing different between what we did. You didn't do anything different to us. Yeah. Yep. Anything what? And he said, in fact, you actually had a vehicle look after too. Yep. Said, the only thing is that you just, you want infantry. Yeah. And I was like, mate, this is great, you know? That's, uh, how long was your uh, deployment to Somalia? It was five months. So we yep. went... Guys, some guys went December seventeenth, um, ninety-two, and others went. I think it was January the seventeenth, yep. and we got back in mid-May. Um, yep. So it's pretty much five months overall. That that deployment itself, because you know most people, me and Shane interact with, it's either Timor, Iraq, Afghanistan. Rarely, I don't think I've spoke to anyone who's no Somalia deployment. Yeah, a lot of them call it the, the Forgotten War. You know, yeah, like, yeah. And, and what kind of deployment was? It? What kind of war was it for well, you? Well, it was. The main role was, if you remember, well, I don't know if you guys remember, a lot of the TV um, exposure from Somalia was all about famine. Yeah. You know, you had these kids with bloated stomachs that had no clothes on, and snot coming out of their faces, and there was warlords going around, these things called technicals and machine guns. Yeah. The gun ruled the street. There was no law. So, the technicals are just a big... Um uh, machine gun essentially on the back on of, the, of a ute. Yeah. Think uh, everyone listening, if you've seen Black Hawk Down, just, yeah. just picture Black Hawk Down. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, you know, for us, because this is the first thing that's happened since pretty much Vietnam. We did mm. have, I think Cambodia was sort of going on in the background at that mm. stage uh, and, it, and it finished just after. But Somalia was the biggest thing to hit and then, of course, everyone wanted to get on this on, on this gig. And um, I just remember hitting the, you know, we, we hit the airfield at, at Mogadishu and we got shot at straight away. And we're all, there's like a couple hundred blokes standing on the airfield with no weapons because all the weapons sort of got <laughs> Oh, you're joking. And we had the gunfire and we thought, holy shit, this is fucking real, you know? <laughs> so we're all, like, we're all looking for, for, for guns. And I remember um, as we're all walking off the plane, the ho- the, cause it was a Qantas plane, and, and the lady goes, you know, we hope you have a really good time. <laughs> and someone turned around the lady and said, do you realise we're going into combat? And she, No. And then she broke down in tears what? and she started hugging oh. every guy that left the bloody plane. Oh, my God. So, so sorry. Oh. Um, what did you think you were doing a Kentucky tour? <laughs> oh, we didn't know we were doing that stage, I think. <laughs> we, were, we were sort of slightly training. We did a lot of uh, pre market training back on uh, towns, but I, I think we weren't ready for that. Yeah. yeah. But in saying that, one or hour was so well trained that they adapted so quick yep. to that environment, to the urban war. Because, again, we've been training for Vietnam. Yeah. We've been, you know, do, out doing bushcraft, you know. Mm. Do there still a lot of Vietnam veterans still in at that, that time? Um, I think at that stage... Most, More probably in your sergeant and yeah, CSM yeah, levels. Yeah, definitely higher, higher up. And in, yeah, influencing that training. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And I think that once we got on ground, and, and the whole thing changed for us, you know. Yeah. Yep. We realised that what we were doing was now humanitarian aid relief. Um, but the threat there... Uh, and people trying to stop us was massive, you know. Again, um, continuously patrolling in that environment, um, you know, it took its toll on a lot of guys. And again, the contacts that that would happen, it was just there was a legal narcotic that they could take chew during the day. So about two o'clock every afternoon, they'd chew this drug called cat that would give them superpowers. You know, yep. they think they're invincible. And after like, you can imagine three o'clock in the morning after chewing this thing all night, the patrols are coming through and they just step out and try and, and engage them. And, and and to their credit, the blokes, you know, they weren't backing down. They would, you know, take take the threat seriously. And again, it was either them or us. Mm-hmm. So we had those rules of engagement with the UN, which was 
if you felt your life was in danger or your, or your yep. colleague yep. was in danger, you could discharge your weapon. And as it progressed, they then changed that, and that's when we, we bugged out because it was like, you know, you can't discharge yours until they discharge them. Yeah. Mm. We don't play like that, you know. Um, I don't know. And, and I think, you know, we were, we were proud of what we did. There was a lot of stuff that we, um, well, I, don't, I don't have the figures and, and things like you know, that we did, but um, we changed the whole dynamics of, of that area where we were in Baidoa. Uh, Mogadishu was a whole new story because that place was just pure evil. You know, mm. there was millions and millions of starving people there that, uh, and thugs that just, you know, I remember going through in a, like a five or six vehicle convoy and they were like ants just attacking us and thinking, you know, you're trying to get out there and, they're trying to rip you out of the vehicle. Oh and like, God. you know, a couple of years later when Blackhawk um, Down came out, you saw that originally they had some bodies that they hung up on bridges over there that from the Americans that they captured. Yeah. So, you know, we were lucky that we weren't exposed to that, but they were that prepared to drag us out of the vehicle. I remember, like, I had a camera that just taken and I had about 20 hands trying to pull me and drag me. And, of course, with our webbing, it was quite easy to drag you out there and you had mm. to pretty much beat your way to stay in the car and accelerate. And you, yep. You know, there's a lot of bodies in front of you that you're just trying to bounce off. Um, it, it was, it was just, it was scary. But as it progressed, you more confident, you know, how to handle these situations, and and um, like we were seeing people weapons daily, you know. Yeah. And we had to go and pull them up and make sure that they were registered, to make sure that you know that you weren't a, a, a bandit. I'm amazed that that was a thing. Yeah. Were, mm. were that were many registered? Yeah, they actually were. Yeah. Oh, wow. So a, lot okay. of, a lot of non-government organisations, NGOs over there. That, oh, yeah. So you had Care, World Vision, and they all had bodyguards or something. Yep. All their weapons had to be registered. So, yep. yeah, we would we would go through and, and, and check them all. Um, and then again, you know, there was a shitload that weren't. Yeah. So we were going through doing cordon um, and searches on a lot of villages. And again, you know, there was blokes now that had weapons. And again, like for me, I've gone into a, a hut and this bloke, you know, he sold grain, sorghum, you know, rice and stuff in his little hut and I've searched his hut and there was an AK-47 and I looked at the bloke and thought, you know, he's not a fucking bandit. Mm. That's there for his protection. Yeah. If we take that from him and move on to the next village, what stops him from protecting his, his yeah. village, right? You fucking hide that. You keep it, you know? And yeah. I walk out of the hut, you know? Like, mm. you, you pose no threat to me. But when you're patrolling at night, that's when you can sort of see that the element would change a little bit. The the guys, like, you can imagine, like, you know, you go to a beer in a local pub and then by three o'clock in the morning, you left with the drunks who want yeah, to yeah, yeah. trouble. So Audio. it was that type of scenario where you knew that you were going to get, you know, they used to have ambushes and things like, and lay out at night time and try and capture the, the you know, the Aussies off guard. Um, but man, Mogadishu was a fucking hellhole. Like, I wouldn't wish anyone to go there. It was just, it was, well, they had the Mogadishu Mile there, which was, you know, you known that you don't want to go there. Yeah. It's just, you're going to get in a, you're going to get in a combat or get in a conflict, just head there. And I remember as I was, the last deployment there or last part of your, before you went back to Australia was they sent you to Mogadishu in this little camp and it was basically like a wind down and all you did was a picket, sat there all day long and listened to the Americans singing their gospel um, hymns and stuff. They were, were religious Americans. Like, yep, yep. Well, the massive amount of them, they'd be singing and of course you'd be, you'd be up in your, your OP and you'd be clapping away. And, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but we were watching this... Um, house across the road and we're all sort of you know it was it was known to just keep an eye on it tab put some information and we kept seeing these americans well they looked american they were black um people with full cams full webbing and rifles m16s over in his room in his house across the road and we're watching and watching and days and days you thought you know there's just something that doesn't look right and it, it wasn't 
Because you, you were focused on everything they had on, and it wasn't until someone brought it up. No one had shoe, boots. <laughs> <laughs> they all had fucking no shoes on. Yep. Thongs. And then, and then some other, I think they used to use um, car tyres as thongs. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yep. No, that fucking last my lifetime, but that's what they used to wear. And um, we then sent the Americans over, or the Australians, I can't remember who it was, but they raided it, that house, and they found enough weapons, camouflage uniforms, webbing for 16 people. So what happened was the Somalians were coming at night time and pull for the American. They couldn't get the Australians, so they could get the fucking American gear. <laughs> that doesn't surprise so me. Yeah, Americans were just, yeah, just too relaxed. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, they got all their gear, like fucking weapons. Wow. Well, how would you go and tell your boss, you know what, sir? I oh, God. Oh. We actually we're like one. 16 of them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, I'll just write another weapon off you, all right, mate? <laughs> Fuck. So, um, you know, that was, uh, that, for me, it was, it was great because... There's blokes that I will respect for the rest of my life, you know. Yeah. There's nothing we've done there. There was we had some great times, some funny stories, just some general stupid things that you did in the military. Um, and, and being able to put all that into practice, you know, like you've been practicing practice. Yeah. You suddenly yep. getting that, that gong go that call up to go and do it. Yep. You went, right, this is it. And I remember when it came back, because we had these special hats made up for us, wide brim camouflage hats. And I was just marching down to the Q store and this corporal called pulled me up and he goes, Oi, get here. He said, where'd you get that hat from? And I said, oh, you know, I went to Somalia. He goes, no, you didn't. And, he, and he, he basically told me to give the hat to him. He wanted it. Yeah. And it was like, you know, you said they stole him valor. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That you could identify with someone who'd been deployed to Somalia, and he yep. won that, that hat. And I was like, mate, you're a bit of a tool. But, uh, <laughs> you didn't give him the hat, did you? Nah, no, no. He braced me up. I had to put my hands on the side of my cans, and I'm like, and I'm looking down at this little dickhead, and he was only like five, four foot nothing. <laughs> I feel like you're bigger than everyone. One of my mates worked with him, and then he told him, he said, no, no, Casper went to, went to Somalia, you know, he, he was all right. And I'm like, um, just, just invite him out to piss. I'll sort him out there. There's no rules out there. So I started going through that that stage. Um, I got deployed to Bougainville afterwards, so 94. What was the, the downtime between trips? <laughs> For me, yep. none. <gasps> what? Yeah, Jeez. we got told we, we won't be deployed or do any exercise for um, six months. Yep. And I think when we got back, it was like three weeks. We were oh. out doing some exercise at Rockhampton. And it was funny because they put all of us. So we had um, so we had 18 guys, 20 guys go. And they put my section when I got back. Every one of them was a Somali veteran. Yeah. So it was just us. There was nine of us. You know, we were... We were like the dirty dozen, <laughs> we wouldn't take shit from anyone. We were, we pretty much had the green light. You know, it was yeah. okay. We were fine. And I remember, um, we're out, out this thing digging pits, and this lieutenant comes through with this um, radio antenna, and he was putting in the pits, and he had it marked off how high, how deep the pit should be. And he kept coming back at like two in the morning, going, "That's not deep enough." So he cracked these silent sticks and threw them in the pit, and said, "Keep digging until that's that height." And we all got this guy thinking. Dude, they're all fucking veterans, man. Who the fuck are you? And he's like a brand new lieutenant. Just wanted to make a name for himself. And we're going, you're going about the wrong way. So one of our mates, um, Max Smart, he got naked, <laughs> broke the silent sticks and poured them all over his body. <laughs> and started running around the area. <laughs> so, and just waving his dick around the thing. And remember, the, the, the orders the next morning were... Um, can you stop throwing the solemn on the kangaroos because like, <laughs> the kangaroo was spotted around here. <laughs> and I'm going, Max's dick wasn't that big. <laughs> but that was like, you know, um, we were just, 
of being admissions. We didn't we didn't listen to authority or anything, you know, back then. Um, so you wouldn't have had time. Obviously, it's a three week turnaround. Yeah. After a trip to realise that, you know, you feel a little bit different. You yeah, know, no, like no, you were just go 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 go. Yeah. And I remember when I got back from that exercise, I just started to feel worn out. Like really, mm. I actually. I had a hole in my stomach that I couldn't breathe properly and I just felt like the will to even get up and just function was really draining for me. It was weird. It was just, I went and spoke to my side and said, Sarge, look, I don't feel right. now, And I, I can't tell you what it is because mm. this is 93. Yeah, you wouldn't have mm. had the... No PTSD. No yeah. one talks about depression, you know, mental illness, nothing like that, you know. Um, and I'm saying there's just... You know, things aren't aligning up. I'm not, that spark's gone. There's just something not there. And he sent me to the doctors and the doctor sort of, he mentioned a few things. But again, there was no real PTSD, you know, we can identify it as that. Or maybe just, you're just worn out, you know, we'll give you a four-week holiday. And I went, really? I said, yeah, yeah. So, put me on a plane, sent me home to Sydney for four weeks. And I think I drank for four weeks. <laughs> like, really, like, yeah. I could not believe, like, my mum was sitting there, um, I'd go and get a carton of beer every day and I'd knock that carton of beer off and I'd go to bed and wake up the next morning and go and get another carton. And my mum was looking at me going, you know, my mum was a barmaid. She's thinking, this bloke will keep up with a little, you know, seasoned drink. Is mm. something not right with this bloke? Mm. And I think I just sort of pushed it to the side and thought that's just part of life. Move on. So then went back in, you know, went after the month, came back and, you know, all smiles and stuff and just, just kept pushing through. And it's one of those things that, with the military that, you know, you're institutionalised, you push through. Every time you got a test, you know, like I had compartment syndrome where my legs, um, they would they, they, they would swell up so much, the calf muscles. Yeah, would that's, that's what I've got. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got 40 centimetre scars on both legs. Oh, you actually got the surgery yeah, to yeah, release it? it? did nothing. Yeah. Oh, really? It's so, like, 50-50 if it's ever yeah. going to work or potentially make it fucking worse. Yeah. Mm. So I would, and, and again, you didn't want to go and do remedial PT. Because nah, like, fuck no. You went on for mm. three months or six months and just made you continually run. It's like, nah. So you just pushed on and pushed on. So whenever you had an injury or an illness, you can give a shit. You didn't want to let the team down. Yeah. Because yeah. that was the whole ethos of the, of the military, of the brotherhood, the sisterhood. You know, yeah. you would do, or you would walk in front of oncoming fire to ensure your mate was safe. And that's yep. one of those things that civilians do not understand. You know, I would have given my life to save my mate Pete Masters, no matter what. Mm. And if I had died to do that, as long as he lived, yeah. I would have been happy. I think partners don't get that either because no. I just, I yeah, it's hard to understand. Well, I, I do that now for my wife, mm. you know, and my, and my kids. You know, whenever we go somewhere and I'm always telling my kids, you know, my goal is to make sure you live. Mm. And, and the thing with me is I'm so bloody brutally honest mm. that sometimes it can become scary, you know, like being... Since I left the military, you know, I've been in security, I've been a bodyguard, um, I've been an armed guard, and I've been trained by some really good people, and I've been fortunate enough to learn a lot of stories and been told about, you know, days of the King's Cross, when the 70s with the coppers, and um, just some great stories that would, would, would horrify people in general. Mm. So now I'm a father, I've got an 11-year-old and a 4-year-old daughter, mm. knowing all this, that, that, that there are an element out there of bad people that I just want to protect them. So... Yeah. Um, Sometimes I'm just so, I guess, in their face about stuff that I can see my wife looking at me going, don't say that. <laughs> you know, like, 
Can you put some butterflies and glitter yeah. in the next door? Yeah. Like, I'd love to, honey, but she won't get the point. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. Not the real world. No, yeah. no. And, yeah. I, and I live in that real world, you know, like, and I've seen it, and we've all seen this, and you, you both guys have mm. seen it too. You know, you've picked up dead bodies. You've, you've been to car accidents. You've been to places where, um, you know, kids have been taken advantage of. Yep. There's been domestic violence. Like, you know, I spoke to a bloke, um, a police officer about, you know, Red Six, and, and I was saying, mate, look, um, just give me a rough idea of what your day was like yesterday. And he said to me, you know, like, first thing went to a domestic violence situation where the husband was bending the wife up. The nine-year-old daughter was killed in the corner, screaming and crying. We arrested mm. him. He got released the next day, went mm. back and beat them both up. He said in the afternoon, I picked out a, I think it was a three-year-old body out of a car accident. And he said then before his shift finished, there was another incident, you know, and I went, and then what happened when you got home? He said, well, my wife goes, now was your day, honey? Mm. Yeah. I said, mate, yep, yeah, I understand what you're saying. You've got to, Somebody switch off yeah. to become family men again, and it's very hard. And my wife, look to her credit, like I, I'm here today because of my wife, and because she's just a nurturing girl. She's eleven years younger than me. Oh, I'll say again, eleven years. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, mate. You're right, you're um, but she, you know, and I tried to push her away a couple of times, and that was just not because of anything, but just me, you know. Like mm. you're, there was something in me, you know, I just wanted to escape. And, and, and I think it was probably an excuse to go and fly off the handle again. Yeah. Because when I actually left the military in 98, um, you know, I was I was in a whole new world now. I was invincible. I'd been to combat, been to two, you know, two overseas operations. Um, and I was an angry man. Mm. My boy was angry. And at six foot four and I was 130 kilo in those days, I could – Think that I was invincible, you know, and I wasn't. Now, mate, there's a hundred people where they could drop, drop me down, in, you know, in 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 a hundred meters. But I felt invincible. Yeah. I used to go and sit down at the block in Redfern. So I had a job um, as an operations manager for a major IT corporation out at uh, Marrickville in, in Sydney. And I used to get from Penrith onto a train and then get out to a bus out there. And when I come back to Central Station, I'd get off at Redfern and I'd go and sit down with Aboriginals at the block and I had a suit tie on and I'd buy a bag of like a 20 old bag of weed and I'd get them to roll a joint and pretty much let them smoke the joint and they'd give me a puff every now and again um, and I'd get the guys who come up to me like the rough tough dudes going who are you man what are you effing doing around here you know and I'm like just have a chat mate you know and they try and challenge me and then the older the elders there would sit there and go this dude's not right man he's <laughs> fucking fearless mm. and I'm thinking I was you know like I didn't care I was just doing things that would self-destruct yeah so it wasn't until i met my wife you know my wife sort of gave me look not really an ultimatum but she said look i'm here for you darling Mm -hmm. i understand you're hurting i understand that life just doesn't add up to you at the moment but you've got to stay in the fight sort of use that skills that you had in the army you never gave in you always push forward you know worry about the fucking downside down the track but just try and stay in the fight and then we had our first daughter. My whole life changed. Mm. Yeah. The only time I've cried was mm. when my daughter, first daughter was born, my second daughter was born, and when the lads gave me the ICB. Mm. So I'm a really cold mother. <laughs> 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 but, um, I didn't even cry my wedding, but because um, I, was, I was losing my, my single, you know, speed single. <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, they always say, well, I say, behind every good man is an even better woman, you know, and, and she has been there. Like when I got into fitness, 
she used to cook me seven meals a day. Jeez, holy shit. Two years ago, I'd get up at five o'clock in the morning and go for a walk. I'd come home and get dressed, go to work. I'd go to the gym in the afternoon and I'd go and do cardio in the, at, at 11 o'clock at night. I'd come home and there'd be seven meals sitting there for me. Wow. And that went on for so long because I, I had a goal. I wanted to, I wanted to have abs. I never had abs. Yeah. You know, even when I was in the army, I used to hate that chugging from drinking beer all the time. <laughs> never had abs. And I've seen blokes that have a pretty bastard. So then I got into bodybuilding and went down that, you know, I got a coach and pretty much after two uh, after 12 months, he said, man, you, you're, you're a big dude, you know, let's let's do something with that. Do you want to get on stage? And I was like, not really, you know. I'm not, I can't see myself in a pair of Speedos and Sluggers <laughs> up on stage. You know, all tanned up and all yeah, good to up. go. I said, yeah, stripper, stay <laughs> <laughs> We get paid to do it. He said, no, you break pay- dancing music. <laughs> <laughs> he said, no, you pay me to do it. You know, I was like, well, that doesn't sound right. Um, but, you know, it was another goal. So I yeah. went 100% into this, eating, dieting, didn't smoke, didn't drink. Um, and anyway, I got on stage, got the abs always wanted, you know, and, and I did it with my four-year-old daughter, which was really good because we got one of the funniest photos for me is sitting on the bed with my abs and, and I'm smiling and my daughter's right beside me doing the same funny, funny face with me. And I thought, that's it. I've done it now. So I can go and think about something else, the next challenge. And it wasn't until... Um, I sat back and thought, what am I going to do next? You know, like mm-hmm. you've done everything you want to do, you, you, you've done your military career, you've done your bodybuilding. Um, and being the big dude, people always come to you with your problems. You know, bro, I need this, I'm like, you know, blah, blah. You're like, you know, um, give me a cuddle, you know, I'll help you out, you know, give me a hug and away you go. And 2001 to 2015, we had, um, I think it was one suicide in the veteran community every month. Roughly, they said it was like 1.5, but we'll, we'll make it just one you know, yeah. for a conversation. 2016 and 17, that number jumped to seven a month. And I thought, hang on, you know, there's all this support out there. What's going on? Mm. And I sat back and um, when I first got in the military, I did a small business course, an eight-week course on how to run a small business. Just I thought one day I'd like to run a business, you know. Um, I never did at that stage. And I went through it all. And... I did a lot of research. I went through, you know, the, the American market. What have they got out there for veterans? What has Australia got? And I think DVA had three apps, phone apps out, um, the right mix, um, high res and something else. And then there was two other ones that had come out from just two other blokes. So there was Thrive the Survive, and then there was one called VetGuard. And VetGuard had 100 downloads in two years, and Thrive Survive had 50-plus downloads in two years. And I thought, okay. So then I got into them and had a look at what they do. And I'd always had this concept, you know, that I've got an idea for a support tool in the veteran space, but I never had the capital. And when I was one of my jobs um, back in Sydney was as a sales manager for a print company, and the boss's son was quite intelligent. He was um, he worked with the big banks and he had all this all these connections and he was very, very switched on. And I come up with a couple of ideas for, for, for apps with him and he'd see if they were viable. So one of the first ones I come up with was, um, it was called Just Lost It. And it was if you'd lost your wallet, you had a button on your phone which would freeze your account straight away. Yeah, that's handy. You know, mm. something simple because we've all done yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And then you got to ring the banks. And, you know? yeah. and with tap and go these days, you can still lose 100 bucks at each shop, you know. And, yeah. And, you know, if you're, like most of us, and struggling to make the ends meet, mm. Hundred bucks here or there, or you know, two or three hundred bucks. It's everything. Yeah, you yeah. know, you got to try and budget for the next four yeah. months to get your money. 
I think, you know, some of the jobs I had was monthly pay too, so it was a real pain in the ass. And anyway, he, he went back to Westpac and did all this um, checks and balances and pretty much come back and said, oh, no, it's not viable. And I said, but I think that if you lost your wallet and just been able to freeze your account, now if you did find your wallet again or someone found it to you, you could put a PIN number in and, and open it again. That way yeah. you still use your card. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Now, it all made sense to me. Now, he said, no, nah, no. Nah. Six months later, I'm watching a, a pop-up ad <gasps> on um, the internet. Westpac had re- released it. I thought, you bastard. So one of the first things learning business was keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because those things are worth millions of dollars to people. And, and we've all heard the stories. Like one, of the, like one of the stories I heard about, there was a game called Color Switch, which was just a bouncing ball. And it had like 10 million downloads in a couple of months. And um, the lady sold it to a, a company that, for millions, like 20 million bucks. I mean, I thought, far out. You know, like, there's money in apps. So I presented that app to him and his dad. And his dad was an ex-South African army guy. He'd been in Australia. British, British guy, been in Australia for, you know, 40 odd years and was getting to this stage of retirement. He, and he always wanted to do something for veterans. And I said, mate, look, here's a great concept. But they couldn't see it. Yeah. And I think for them, because he had no military like combat experience or, or being deployed um, and being disengaged from his military brothers and sisters, he didn't have that relationship that I had. Now, I had guys from one hour, I had guys from two, four hour, and guys from three hour that, you know, to this day I'm still really close with. And plus the transport, you know, guys I was, I was with too. So I had a lot of different mates. And when I left the army, I remember I went to a 40th birthday party and I'd been the first guy to be diagnosed with PTSD out of this group of blokes. There was 10 of us, I think, from the party. What and year were you diagnosed? 2005. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I went through, you know, 94, 95, 96, 97, blah, blah, you know, lost, angry, going through jobs, just trying to work out what's going on here, you mm. know, and, and that's just me. I'm cranky. That, that I'll, I'll just put up with that, you know, and yeah. people just have to realise that I'm yeah. a bugger, you know. Mm. Um, so I remember going to this 40th birthday party. This was probably, oh, what are we now, eight years ago? And at that stage, I'd actually... My group of friends, I, I did a post on Facebook to say, guys, there was a photo of me in one of my darkest days and one of me at that stage and saying, look, just let everyone know that, um, officially let everyone know that I've been diagnosed with PTSD, uh, depression, anxiety and alcohol dependency um, due to, uh, I guess, you know, being deployed. I said, I'm not making excuses for who I am, but I'm just letting you know this is me and I'm coming out. And I think... The support I got was incredible, you know, which was really good because when you look at it these days, it's people are so afraid to come out and say, I've got a problem, you know, like they are. It's like, well, I'm six foot four and 130 kilo. I've got a problem, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to make excuses for it. I'm, I don't like people. Yeah. I'm quite away from people. I have so many bad days mm. that I can't remember sometimes when I've had a good day. Yeah. But I've got little things in place and I've got this little thing in my voice in my head. And I learned this from a lot of people who are very prominent in this space. You know, your Bram Connollys, your Paul Kales, your, your, your Reese Stewart's, uh, your Robert Mills, um, just mates that have always been there and always just give you a little bit of push, some guidance. Um, I'm in control. And when I let it control me, I have a bad day. And every day I get wake up in the morning and I get two choices. One, do I lie in bed and complain? Or two, do I get out of bed and make an effort. 
Mm. And that effort can be as small as fucking just having a shower. That's exactly what we said yeah. our last yeah. episode. Yeah. Step, yeah. yeah step I think that's what you said. Have a shower. Yeah. Like one goal. If you can achieve one little goal. Yeah. Yep. And that's what, you know, now that I'm so prominent in this space and I've seen so many, like, as we said before, nearly 5,000 ex-service organizations in this space all supposed to be doing something for veterans. But I don't know more than 20 that are actually doing anything good or positive, mm. you know, which spins me out. But I, I do see, you know, like Swiss 8, I love that concept, you know. And and for me personally, it's because of fitness. Yeah, I've seen it change me from who I was. So for people who don't know what it is, can you just... just Swiss 8? Yeah. yeah. Well, Swiss 8's got the eight pillars of, 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 of mental um, illness support type. So there's like yoga, there's breathing, there's exercise, just... Things that you can log in each day. Now, look, I'm not a, a – I haven't looked too much into Swiss, eh? Yeah. Yep. Um, but we know each other. Yeah. And, and I'm supportive. I'm sure those guys, you know, I know a lot, they've clicked a lot, a lot of likes on my post and things, so we support each other. And I think what we know is the bigger the net that we create in this space, mm. the more we catch. So I don't care if you're selling veteran fish and chips or veteran coffee or veteran beer mm. or veteran exercise programs or veteran fucking T-shirts. Do something – to help us. Yeah. You know, because yeah. the bigger we are, the more we catch. And we've got to collaborate. Yeah. Yes. You know, it's not yeah. a pissing contest. No. I'm not, I'm not going to be the guy who stands up and go, I solve the suicide um, yeah. problem. Uh, and I never will. I want to say, together, we've helped lower the, the, the suicide rates. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, we're all good at something. So, Red Six is good at attracting people to get on board that app. And then when they do hit those buttons and, and they engage with other people, we then offer... Well, can, yeah, actually, Mike, can you yeah. explain what the red... Well, sorry, sorry. Right? so yeah. before we get into that, we might have a quick break because I have the bladder of a 12-year-old and <laughs> I uh, left it on the can I got to put it in the fridge. Um, <laughs> we'll have a quick break there and then we'll jump yeah, back into yeah. the app. Yeah, go for it. Cool, so Shane's back from um, having a piss break, <laughs> so thanks for that, mate. He's up on the water and coffee. <laughs> so, Mike, yeah, before he went for his break, I asked you, <laughs> can you just explain the concept of the Red Six app and how it works? Yep. Yep. All right, so as I was sort of saying before, you know, I had such a great time in the military, crossed so many units, met so many blokes, good blokes. When I came out and told everyone I had PTSD, you know, and all the wives at this party sort of said to me, um, you know, my husband's got that, those signs of symptoms, you know, and he, but he won't admit it. He's fighting with it. He thinks it's a sign of weakness, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, look, that's what we face every day, you know, and it's not a sign of weakness. It's okay not to be okay, but let's, you know, work something out. Now, I sort of sat back and thought, how can I help these guys, you know, that I serve with? Because Facebook, you know, it's there. But my research and, and looking at, you know, Facebook, if you put up a post that says that, you know, you're having a bad day or, you know, you're not feeling well, you're going to get a lot of people who care. But then you're going to get some arsehole who's just going to be a troll mm-hmm. and he's going to fuck with your head. And he's going to say, harden up, princess. You didn't carry a pack as hard as what I did, or you didn't walk as far as I did, or you didn't shoot as many as people as I did, etc. And what happens is you then disengage and you remove yourself from that social connection and you're alone again. And I'd experienced all this. So Red Six came around from purely from lived experience and that was my own personal experience of of joining these communities online, trying to seek advice and because I was that non-combat soldier... My, my service didn't really matter. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't as hard as those guys. I didn't go through Singleton. I didn't do this and I didn't do that. So, you know, you really started to – it became mind game. When you start getting beat up by so many people mentally, 
you know, you start to think, well, I'm, I'm nothing now, you know. What I did didn't really matter in the big scheme of things. Now, we all know, you know, we know guys that were deployed from the Commando Regiment and the NSAS that, you know, I'm good mates with Peter Rutland who, who got thrown 30 metres from a chopper and broke every, every bar in his body. Mm. And not once has he ever mentioned anything about, oh, you were just a transport guy. Mm. You know, we have beers and um, regularly in contact with each other and he's the only loser in the corner and he first bloke to invite me around whenever he's got mates over. Yeah. So, you know, that means a lot to people like me. Um, so it, it became about that personal experience, like how can we help, how can I help my mates? So purely it was about my mates. So if they went on Facebook, how could they reach out to another mate and get some help? So I set about making this app, Red 6. Red is the colour for danger, and 6 is the term we're all familiar with, meaning you've got your back. And um, to me, that really stuck, you know, it resonated with what I wanted to try and produce. I've got to know a funny story about how it all come about, but we'll, we'll progress, unless you want to hear it. No, no, yeah, please. Yeah. Right. So I had a company called Bravo 6 before Red 6, and Bravo 6 was a training company, so... I'd been to America um, and did this escape and evasion and urban survival course. So I was right. You know, I started to use my size and, 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 and toughness to try and help others. So, you know, like disadvantaged kids, just kids in general that were getting bullied at school, women that felt defenseless. So I came up with this um, self-defense sort of workshop, but it was more aimed at urban survival where Link Cafe just happened. Yeah. And I thought, you know what, if you'd been in that situation, and the more we read about it, you know, there was 10 employees in that, there was eight shoppers. The 10 employees knew the lay of the land. They had the advantage, but they didn't do anything. They didn't think about using an improvised weapon um, you know, to, to take the threat out. So, again, poorly trained. And if you, you're not trained at all, you just, you, you're not going to... You don't have the confidence to do anything yeah, as well. Exactly, yeah. yeah, you're going to fall under pressure. So I tried to come up with this course. So I went to America, and I wanted to learn what Americans are doing. So I did this escape and evasion course. I got tortured. I got kidnapped. Um, I went on a run for 24 hours. This course went for like four days. Um, you would have hated the run part. <laughs> power walking. You know? <laughs> I was just evading the, the kidnappers. There was no running at all. <laughs> so you had to blend in become a Mr. Grey. So you actually went out the day before and you, you, you made a disguise. And you went and hit it in town. And what happened is on the fourth day, you went into the, to, uh, the classroom and then you got kid, you got captured, put you in handcuffs, put a pillowcase over your head, waterboarded you, stun gunned you, and they liked the big Aussie. You know, we had this seventy-five-year-old Green Beret that had been in Vietnam with the Aussies, SAS, and he loved the Aussies so much so that he spent twenty minutes with a stun gun with me. <laughs> he, wanted, he wanted to break me, and uh, but the good thing was he told me before. He said, "Mate, we're going to get you. We're really going to make an effort to get you and crack you." Because we had this safe word, and if you said the safe word, I think it was Geronimo, 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 or Buffalo, one or two, and they, they let me go. So I've walked in, they've handcuffed me, pillowcased me, threw water over me, and threw me on the table. Started hitting with a stun gun, waterboarding me, and um, all good fun, you know. You're, 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 I'm, <laughs> I'm breathing in for four or out for four, I'm just trying to remember this, and all the meantime, I'm getting punched and, and zapped, and I could smell the burn in my own flesh. And um, he said, get, throw him on the ground, we'll get the next guy. And he goes, no, nah, bugger that. Pick him back up again and threw me back on the table. And they gave it to me. But then one stage they went, go and get the dogs. And I thought, I know there's no dogs here. That's my cue to escape. But then I heard this Geronimo, Geronimo, Geronimo in the background. That was this big black American guy who cracked. <laughs> when they said his dog coming, <laughs> he just cracked. So they had to take his, his battle club off, unhandcuff him. And away he went. So they taught us how to get out of handcuffs. 
um, gaffer tape, cable ties, you know, pit locks. It was it was just wow. some really good Boy Scout shit. That you yeah, know, yeah. You, know, you have a party and you're going to out. My daughter, 11 year old, she can pick handcuffs, you know. Oh, that is oh, awesome. Cable that ties, awesome. you can get out of it. It's just, just stuff that. That is a really good thing to teach your kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You never have to use it, but you know. Yeah, 100%. I've got the four year old going, Dad, can we play with the handcuffs? I'm like, not yet, darling. <laughs> get a little bit older. Um, and it was good fun. So I remember we went through this buddy, um, so in America, and again, you know, being a foreigner, I didn't. I had a disadvantage. All the other guys, you know, they were all fine. They knew the land, land. And um, this big Marine guy said, "Mate, we'll pair up, buddies." You know, both served. Um, let's do it. So we, mate, we smashed this course. The first checkpoint, I said, "Mate, you go in, go and talk to the um, agent, get our location where we're going to next." I'm going to hang around and just do a bit of a reconnaissance and look around and see what vehicles are in. I said, "Because we know there's a ten men hunting team out there." Now, these guys aren't probably that switched on. They're just cities have done the course. So, let's see if we can find them. First thing he did was walk around the corner, found four blokes sitting in a Jeep with a window down about a quarter of an inch, breathing with a camera on the dashboard. <laughs> I went, full pass, you know, I went, oh, that's, it. that's who we're looking for. So, I made note of that. He went in, my mate went in, got the information. So, we then went to where our our disguises were held, uh, hid. And I had, um, I had a business shirt on the whole time, so I didn't know I had tattoos. And... I went to St. Vinny's or, or Salvo's that night and I bought like a jumper. I cut the sleeves off, a um, pair of old jeans, a beanie and a construction hat. Put dirt all over it. Looked like I'd been at the construction site all day. Looked at the the, um, the map and saw that around Santa Monica was a big construction uh, area. So I sort of used that to my advantage. I was going to start moving around to those areas and blend in. I had a plastic bag with some fruit in there and newspaper. So never got caught. Off I went, you know, they had no idea who I was. Um, we got to the very end of the course. We rung in. We said, mate, you know, we're at checkpoint, blah, blah, ready to get called in. Called in. And they went, man, we just had guys check in from checkpoint two. You're at checkpoint 15. And they're like, Dude, can you guys just hang out for a while? So me and some mate are just sitting around. We had to go and find out, like, we had to break into a car. Um, we had to pick a lock. And the more locks you picked and, and brought with you, the more bonus points you got. Um, we had to ask for, for money and we went up to a homeless guy and I thought, you know what? Common sense. This bloke's lived on the street in this area most of his life. He's going to know everything we want to know. So, mate, where can we get accommodation? Shelter, food, you know, water. And this guy told us everything. And the funny thing was, as we were talking to him, he just had a pee. And this bloke had been on the street for like, the streets for 20 odd years, so he was dirty as. And he's turned around and the first thing we do is we put out our hand and shake his fucking oh, hand. Yeah. So we had to break protocol and go into a 7-Eleven type shop and buy some hand sanitizer, hand sanitizer <laughs> to wipe our hands. Oh, fuck. So back to that story. So Bravo 6 was a company. Now, I've done a little bit of film, film and TV just for a bit of a fun. Now, never, no aspirations to be an actor, just purely a bit of fun. That's where Sean Barry and, and, and you know, and... and or Humphrey B. Barry is a lot to call it. <laughs> and, and, and the extra specials come in, you know, they're great, great bunch of blokes there. So I'd um, done a little bit of film and TV. And one of the things that happened was Paulie Fennick that had Fat Pizza. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we linked up. I, I played a bad boy in one of his movies. I was a biker. So there's a movie out called Dumb Criminals, and it was Australian comedy. And it was. I played the lead biker. So I walked into this audition and they looked at me and gone, because I'm in this room and there's all these like one percenters, facial tattoos, some scary dudes. I'm thinking, what am I doing here? You know, I just got cuts, tats on my forearms and that, man. I'm, and I don't have that look. Yeah. And he said to me, mate, you've actually got the look that we're after because these guys look like 
strong goes, but you could look like you could probably pull off one on one or one on two. Take your shirt off, mate, you've got tats in your back, your stomach, you know, you'll be fine. So I ended up doing this movie with him. And he went, part of the movie was filmed in Las Vegas. And when he was over there, he saw a lot of urban warfare, uh, urban survival workshops. So he approached me and said, you've been ex-military, you should look into this. So I did a bit of research, again, a bit of market research, seeing what was around. And it was more like um, how to get my, uh, degrees on, on urban survival and stuff at, at, at Union TAFE. And th- not really... Not the practical. Stuff. No, no, okay. Stuff, you know, about situational awareness and, yep. and improvised weapons. So, what's a degree going to do for you? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that makes no sense. Well, you can point. I remember the officers point the book and go. It says here on page. Yeah, to do this, you know, like that's the all goes out the window. So I put together the workshop based on what I learned in America, and I told the guys in America, and they said, "Mate, can we come over and help you do it?" You know, and I said, "Oh, we'll, we'll put it together and see what happens." So Paulie Fennick hated Bravo Six. <laughs> Oh, no, sorry. He hated Red Six, the name. He goes, ah, it sounds like a lipstick brand. <laughs> I said, mate, it's everything we want. Red, danger, six, I got your back. I'm trying to sell it to him. We fell out over the fucking name. Really? Yeah. So we had to come up with Bravo Six and he walked away. He said, no, not interested. So we, we butted heads over that. Two alpha males, you know. So I, I launched Bravo Six for a couple of, a, a year or two. And as the threat of terrorism went down and I met some other guys who were doing some prompt things like um, Paul Carl from Connect Fighting, you know, that's what they do, man. That's the, they special them. Let them do it. I'll focus on, on the Red Six aspect of what I wanted to always do. So the Red Six story, it came about through, as I said, um, personal experience. Yep. You know, not knowing what was out there, you know, and wanting to help. So one of the biggest things I found in this veteran space was that trying to work out what was available to me is in support was so hard. You know, we heard about DBA. We've heard about ourselves. Mm. You walk in there and try and get that help, it's mm. like a minefield. That, the process is like, holy shit, it is so complex. Yeah. Mm. Seven and a half months took me to get a plane looked at, um, and I was living on a wage where I was getting 46 bucks a week. You know, it, was, mm. it was killing me, and it, it got to the stage where I had to get into intervention. Like, I had to ring people within DBA and say, what's going on? Mm. And... Would you believe the guy that on the phone said to me, basically, um, oh, your claim for bipolar has been rejected. And I went, what claim for bipolar? It says PTSD on four pages. Mm. Where did bipolar? And after a 10-minute silence, he confessed that, oh, he's pushed the wrong button. So then I got sent out the form saying your claim for PTSD has been rejected. Mm. And I said, did you even look at the form? You know, so, and that's just one of many stories. Yeah. And I had to suck it up, you know, because what do I do? If I become angry and, and, and abuse the system, I get nowhere. So... You know, to DBA's credit, it was fixed within 24 hours. Yeah. But it was seven and a half months of, mm. you know, just training. So I sat down and I went through what was out there. And as I said before, you know, I looked at all the apps and things and I looked at how many downloads and I was wondering, like, wow, why is there only like 50 and 100 downloads in some of these apps? What's what's going on? And I thought maybe it's just too complicated or maybe a lot of this stuff isn't geared towards the um, post-Vietnam era. Because this is my target market. The guys who came Vietnam and before, they're fine. Like not as in no, no. But they've got their medication sorted. They've got their support sorted. A lot of them, a lot of them. Let's say you know, for the benefit of the conversation, yep. most of them have. They've been dealing with this shit for you know fifty yep. odd years. There's processes now. in place. Yes, for them yeah. on an individual level. The guys that have come back from let's say East Timor um, or Somalia, because my era, Somalia, uh, East Timor. Um, there's Cambodia, there's Rwanda, who is a massive yep. one too. You know, like Jesus Christ, Rwanda. And then you've got Afghanistan, Iraq. 
So there's a lot of these guys who now come back from you know Afghanistan that have not even had a chance to even experience what PTSD is yet. They've got it. They're just not aware of it yet. Mm. Yeah. And five or ten years down the track is when it hits them, they're the ones that are going to be looking for what I was looking for 20-odd years ago. Yeah. Some yeah. support, some help. And if you don't start the process now, 10, 20 years down the track, it becomes a fucking nightmare to try mm. and get, go through this mm. stuff. And I only went through DVA and claimed PTSD. You know, I've got knees, I've got back, I've got shins. You know, I went, bugger that, man. Just give me the PTSD and I'll be happy, you know. I'm not going to sit there and milk the system. I just want to be looked after for that PTSD and I'm fine. So I sat down and went, what's the number one rule? Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> you know, when I'm depressed, when I'm cranky and, and I'm isolating myself, I don't want to Google exercises for mental illness or for mm-hmm. depression or for PTSD. Um, I don't want to drink myself stupid and forget about everything because tomorrow they're still going to be there. And you're probably going to feel worse. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. You know? I don't want to take drugs you know, because that can lead to further problems. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not, look, I'm an advocate, let's say I'm an advocate for marijuana, but heavier drugs, I'm not. Mm-hmm. You, you just, you're blocking the inevitable. Yeah. Marijuana, it, it, when we talk about marijuana, I'm looking at those CBD or Yeah, but that's the same as antidepressants. You know, they, the, the tablets themselves are not made to fix the problem. Yeah. They're meant to be used in conjunction with, um, yes. with, yeah. uh, yeah. Psychology and, yeah. and therapy and things like that. Like, like painkillers. You get a course of painkillers that are going to last you 14 days, not 14 years. Mm. You know, at the end of the 14 days, let's go and look at some physiotherapy. Yes. Get you on a program. Yeah. Yes. You know, yeah. not just give you more medication. That's what they do. Mm. You know, I, I remember when I went to um, Melbourne on that Ward 17, and I saw a bloke, he was getting like 8 to 13 tablets every four hours or something. I'm like, what? Going, what the hell? Tranquilizers, things that would sedate you. Just turn him into a zombie. A zombie. And yeah. then they let him out after, you know, 30, uh, 28 days, and there was no medication for that five day period. Now, if I'm a crack whore and I'm addicted to crack and I get no crack for five days, what am I going to do on a six day? Yeah. Mm. Man, I'm going to go and suck dick to get fucking money hit, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, realistically, this yeah, in some bad way. So I was like, man, there's got to be more. So I went through, you know, I'm looking around at what we can do. And I thought, look, what I want to create is a stepping stone and with Red Six, that's what I've done. So it's the first point of contact. And what I use there, there's a mood setting. So when you get on the app, you set your mood. Green thumbs up, you're in a good headspace. Amber, you're okay. Red, you're in a bad place. And could just do with some contact. A chat, a walk, that's kind of a beer, you know, and just have a chat. And then there's a black button, which is the link to professional services. So if you are in a really bad place and we're talking that, you know, you're at your wit's end, you want to speak to a trained counsellor, well, that's our professional link. And they'll make an assessment on whether you need to be admitted to hospital and we'll get some emergency service around to your location. Now, when you join, you get to put in up the three battle buddies. And if you ever hit that red button, they get sent a direct text message with a link, which they just hit a button and it calls you directly. And that's where you just say, mate, if you want to go and have a beer, let's go and have a chat. Because one of the things I've learned is whenever the chips are down, I don't ring up the major organisations. Yeah. I have a mate who wants to chat to me. You know, mm-hmm. I have a Sean Barry, I have Andrew Sloan, and I have my wife. That whenever that button gets hit red, they give me a call, you know, and, and I show them people how fast it works. That within 10 seconds, one of them's going to call me, and they're just going to say, mate, you okay, Mick? What, what, what's up? Anything we can do? 
And you can just say, mate, I'm just really had a bad day, you know, just things get on top of me. I could just do it with a chat, mate. Yeah, but you come over and we have a coffee. Mm. And then what do we do? We have a fucking good laugh. Yeah. yeah. You know? That's perfect. Like we said before, how many organizations there are that supposedly helping you know, veterans and mental health, but the process is too clunky and it takes too long. Whereas this, it's immediate access. Like if I'm going to have a bad day and I hit the red button, mm. I know that Shane Shane's yeah. going to immediately know something's wrong. And yeah, he'll hopefully ring me straight away <laughs> and we can have a good laugh. You know? And that's going to make me feel better instantly rather than trying to go through an, another organization or do some course to make me feel better. And, and if, you, if, you, if you go to someone that you don't know mm. and you've got to tell them your whole story, exactly. yeah. it's yep. like, man, I've done this fucking all my life. You know, I've told people this on the phone and, and at the end of the day, I've got Raj saying to me, you know, what, what do you want me to do? It's like, mate, just want you to listen to me sometimes, you know? Yeah. Don't judge me. Mm. Just say, you know what? And, and I've used it and I've had friends use it. And I know that I've had people that have been in that worst case scenario and thank Christ they hit the button mm. because their battle buddies got them out of the shit. They've been in hospital, you know, and, and I know it works. Yep. And, and, like, it's not for everyone because I, I find that, and, and just due to being, you know, it's been active now for over six months and the feedback I get from people is, is 99% so positive, which makes me feel so great, yeah, good. Mm. Um, and then I get the people who, who it's actually really helped, which makes me feel even better that, you know, I set a goal of saving my life, and like, I'm way out of that now. Yeah, people have amazing. the app. Do you know these? Seven thousand five hundred people have downloaded in the last six months. Wow! Yeah. And do you know how many people have hit the red or black? Yeah, I've got all that data. Yeah, yeah. So you, so you get to see all the yeah. success. Of so it. The, one of the components of the app for me yep. was the back end data. So when I built the app, this is what I wanted to know. I wanted to identify areas of of veterans larger veterans under stress. Mm-hmm. So whenever someone, and this is why when they join, I want their postcode. Mm-hmm. I don't want their email address so I can send them spam. Mm. I just want their postcode and their phone number because the phone number is the, the battle buddy connection. We've got to send a message to you for help. I get blokes who don't put in nothing in. Well, you're not getting in. You defeat mm. the whole purpose. Put in a number, you know, a, a local barmaid at the pub that you talk to every Friday night. Just put some number in because... You may not need the app, but you might be that link to stop someone from giving in or giving up just by being there. So if you get sent that alert, you know, you're going to call your mate. You know him. It's not a stranger. Yeah. yeah. You know? And nine times out of ten, you're going to say, what's up, you buffhead? Straight away, he's going to break the ice and have a bit of a laugh, you know. Um, we've got that are you okay day once a year. Mm. Man, and everyone goes, are you okay? And everyone says yes. Mm. What do they yeah. do if they say no? Mm. They've got no idea. And mm. most people, when you ask them that, no one wants to be honest, like, they go, are you okay? And you go, yeah, 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 I'm good. But in the inside, yeah, and oh, like, I may not be good, but you don't want you don't want anyone to know that, especially a stranger, you know. Yeah, and when you're at home alone, yeah, you know, you, you get that confidence to actually talk and open up a little bit. And if it's a mate that comes around, Christ, you know, all the better. He knows you. Yeah, he can pick up on these signs. You know, shit, Mike's not okay. I know. You know, like there's something not right. I'm not going to leave their, their house until I know, you know. Yeah. Is Mike at risk of self-harm? I'll make the call, you know, right now. I think Mike, you know, he's not right. Let's do something. And then by me being there and calling the police and getting the police and the ambos around and taking hospital and coming with him for that journey and saying to the guy, mate, you're not alone. I'm here with you, brother, you know. Yeah. It helps. Now, I've had complete strangers ring me, you know, in the middle of the night saying, mate, I just need some help. And through collaboration, you know, like, Overwatch, another great organisation, you know, that even just last night I rang Karen and said, Karen, I've got a, a person in, in WA that could just do with a chat, you know. Um, can we use your chat? Of course. 
You'd love, love to help more. Bang. 44 minutes later, the girl's been on the phone chatting away, you know, helped her out. That's Let's awesome. That collaboration you were yes. saying earlier. Yeah. yeah. As I said, we're a stepping stone. We're making it with the net together with more organizations. We catch more guys. Mm. Now, as I said, I'm not there to solve the problems. I'm, a, I'm an option. Mm. You may not want to be on the app. Great. You, you, know, you, you may not want to walk into the mates and mates. You may not want to walk into DVA or RSL. Find what works for you, you know, mm. and there's so many out there now that you're going to find something works. Yeah. For me at the moment, I've grasped hold of technology and thought, you know what? How hard is it to push a button and let your mate know you're having a bad day? Yeah. If you go on Facebook and post it, you might get a few negative people who are going to attack you, but this is private. Yeah. And now on the app, you can hide your emotion, your mood setting. It doesn't have to show, mm. but if you do hit that button, your three mates are still going to get that message. So that's fine, you know. You don't want to, you know, you're too proud, but it's funny because I get, I've got guys from Special Forces forces on the app, you know, happy to use it, happy to promote it. And then I've got guys from Army Reserve who ring me and say, oh, I don't want all my details on there. I mm. said, well, mate, get on the app and have a look because your details aren't shown to anyone. Your name and your unit is, mate, nothing else, you know. Yeah. Like, there's nothing to be worried about. You know, I know that people get worried about, you know, my stuff's out there. In the- but here's the funny thing. I guarantee that those people who are having those those uh, queries and doubts about it, you go and have a look at their social media profile and it'll have every fucking thing about yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's right self-fucking-posted. I'll yeah. show you pictures. Of, like, if you're on Snapchat, it shows you your location. Yeah. yeah. Facebook, it's got your email address in there. You can go and find it. You know? Yeah. So it, it does my head in some days. I go, mate, come on, buddy. I could do a... F- give me two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> And I'll give you that information anyway. Yeah, fuck it. Yeah. Nice. Without mm. being on the app, I said, look. And then I get people that oh, oh, I had some had some girl start a hate campaign, and she's told someone that oh, you know, people can just pull up your house and find your location by being on the app. And I went, are you even on the app? Yeah. <laughs> have a look. That's complete utter bullshit. So have a look at the app, and if you find anything like that that worries you, you let me know because I can guarantee you it's not on there. Mm. And someone who didn't like the app. Who, who had trouble logging in, decided to put up a, a, mm. a view on, on Apple or Google mm. and then went off their own little tangent. It's like, mate, so what? You know, and I take yeah. that as, 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 a, as the lowest form of... of um, uh, Criticism? No, feedback. You know, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, okay. At the end of the day, you know, like... I don't it's like... It's people with nothing better to do. Yeah. They've got so I little... I like Channel 7. I don't like Koshy. Mm. But I don't sit there and watch it and then... <laughs> and then, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You don't just, exactly. Yeah, you don't just yeah. act like a troll and waste yeah. 10 minutes of your day but writing. move on, man. Yeah. You have that much hatred towards something. Like, if you don't like something, just don't follow it. Exactly. You don't need to comment on oh, it. Oh, God, yeah. yeah don't follow it. But that's what society's like now. Yeah. You know, the internet world, social media, it's like, you know what? I, I couldn't be bothered if... If mm. I don't like something, man, I just move on. Yeah. Like you said before, if this isn't for you, then yeah. there's something else Find that is for you. It took me yeah. years to learn that lesson and to just not look at the shit that makes me upset. And I am so much happier now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. sometimes Madison's watching things and I need to put my headphones on and make it a bit louder. But, you know, yeah, it's, you just you, if you don't like it, just stay away from it. Yeah. It's that yeah. simple. Don't follow. Like, I, I, I've learned, like, I've got a, a guy, I, I watch his stuff all the time, Tony Doherty. He owns um, a string of gyms in, in Melbourne. He's branched out to the WA, but he runs the biggest fitness expo in Australia. And, and he's linked in with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Worldwide Arnold Classic. Now, Tony's got a great story. He used to sleep in his gym. He always he was always in the bodybuilding. He wanted to own a gym. He, that was his passion. His goal was to own this gym. He, he, he bought it, had all his second-hand equipment in there. 
and he slept in the gym. He couldn't afford to sleep anywhere else. He couldn't afford food most days. But what he used to do was he'd wake up early every morning and he'd walk out, close the door, and go around the corner and buy a newspaper and, and like a, a, a pie or something. And he'd walk to work as if he was coming to work to open up the gym. Everyone, hey, you going, Tony, blah, blah. He'd do his day's work, you know, close the gym. And then when everyone was around, no one was there, he'd go to bed. <laughs> Next morning, wake up. So he started at the bottom. And I was watching this post he put up the other day, and it's exactly what we just spoke about. He said, these people, you know, these trolls, he said, I don't follow people I don't, I don't like. And then wait for that one opportunity to attack them when I get in you know, and go, ha ha, I got you. It's like, mate, that energy, you can put them to something. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yep. You know? And they've got to do that. But I don't know, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I sit back some days and I try and analyze it and work out and try and make a reason behind it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why do people spend that much energy putting a bad review on someone? Now, if my computer goes off at home, you know, or it crashes or it does something stupid, I don't think get onto Microsoft on their Dear Bill Gates. <laughs> yeah, your app sucks. You know? you, you crashed on me when I was writing an email. Yeah. Like, you just fucking reboot the thing the way you go. Yeah. But you get them. Like, you know, look, look, it's a learning curve, you know. Yeah. And being so emotionally tied up in this app because it means so much to me mm. in what it's doing, I used to take it personal. You know, if someone put up a bad review, oh, you know, I couldn't download the app, it's shit. Well, here you know, it's shit if you couldn't download yeah. it. <laughs> download it and tell me it's shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I sit at home and look at my wife and go, I want to beat something, you know. Well, what can I do? <laughs> Get one of my kids' barbie dolls and rip the arm off. It's right back at the kids and go, sucked in, that's life. Life sucks sometimes, just get on with it. So it, it's, it, for me, it's great. It's, it's a, a process where I've evolved into a better person now. And, and again, being in this space, meeting great people in this space too, has taught me a lot. Like, you know, Stuart Locke, yeah. Um, mm. projects. Um, Humphrey B. Barry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we trying to work out who's bigger, you or Stewie Locke. Stewie. Yeah, yeah. 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 I don't want to get an <laughs> That's a fight I'd pay to see. Yeah. Stewie's arms better than my legs. Yeah. <laughs> He's a big man. But we sort of we all come together. Like as as you were saying before, when you talked spoke about um, Spadex. Mm. You know Simon. Simon's always you know it, it might be two three months down the track, but we sort of still meet up with each other yeah. online, and it's like. We, you know, it was only last week we saw each other. We just stay in contact because we're all there to help each other. Mm. Sean Barry's the same. He, he knows, you know, he's one of my battle buddies and vice versa. If he's got a problem, you know, I pick up and give him a call and his partner a call. Just let him know I'm here. Mm. Now, Sean might be too proud to say something's wrong some days, but you've got to nut that out with him mm. and say, listen, princess, you're not, you're not as hard as me. <laughs> Admit it, there's something wrong that's going to have a beer. And that's what the sick stigma we've got to sort of break. You know? Yeah. You've got to take control and say, mate, you know what? Let's just go and nut it out and have a beer, you know, because, mate, some days life does get tough. Absolutely. You know? and, yeah. and you're not alone and you're not the only person it happens to. And, mate, I'm always here to help, you know. Yeah. And, and, and I think I've created that with that app that battle buddy situation. There's a few, like, it's all been self-funded. So I borrowed nearly 100 grand to make this. I've got no sponsorship, no funding from anyone. So if anyone ever hears any rumours that Red Six is sponsored by the government, it's bullshit. Yeah. You know, I've got not a cent. The money I make through merchandise sales, which you guys just got free shirts, so you can make it. Oh, we're happy with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. money I get is it bugger all, but it, yeah. it pays for the, just the running costs. Yeah. Because there's Apple, there's Google, and then there's, the app company I've got to pay every month just to, to have it live. Um, when I want adjustments made and tweaks, because it's self-funded, it costs thousands thousands of bucks just to get something done. Mm. Um, so 
we self-funded to as much as we could. And that was basically getting my idea up and running. And now it's up and running. I want to knock on those doors again and revisit where we're at and say, listen, guys, you've seen what it's done. You've seen how popular it is out in the space, how much it's been used, and here's proof of people that we've actually helped yeah. save lives. Let's get on board. You know? yep. And that's what we're at right now. I'm getting the phone calls right now. So I've now got a, an operations manager, does it purely for free, just wants to help. I've got another bloke, Andrew Sloan. He's been such a fucking asset to me. Whenever something positive's happened, he's just shipping it out to everyone. And he lets everyone in that veteran space, we're talking from Darren Chester, you know, through to Open Arms to RSL, he lets them know what Red Sis is doing. Yep. And it's slowly coming back to the stage where, you know, I can really have a conversation with someone that doesn't know about Red Six. Mm-hmm. And I haven't done a national rollout yet. I've just really focused on Queensland because I live on the border. Yeah. Wales and Queensland. And most of my stuff is in Queensland anyway. So it's really starting to... Well, I see Red Six everywhere now on social media. Yeah. Like, because, you know, our, our community, we know everyone. Yeah. And it doesn't take long before you see people start to post stuff about Red Six, you know, or people have got the shirts and stuff like that. You know how much I love? Because it's something I've created. Yeah. So I was up here on Friday. I had um, I had a meeting up here on Friday, and I'm driving back down the M1. I actually had an audition up here for for an ad on TV, and um, I, I laughed. You know, I walked in and went, "Oh, this is not going to be for me." But it, it was just just a bit of fun. Yeah. And I'm driving home, and two cars. So one car's got the red six sticker on the side of it, and I pulled up in my big 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 car with a big red six sticker all the way across the side. Yeah. I'm looking at the driver and he's still looking at me thinking, who's this clown? And he just saw he just sort of saw the red six sticker and up came the thumb. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's awesome, yes. and, like, oh, yeah. and as I went further, we kept playing tag, you know, he kept going past me and thumbs up. And then I got past him and I went around the corner heading towards Rubina, because the M1 was relocked as per usual. Mm-hmm. And um, another car. Beep, 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 beep. Like, what the hell's that? Comes up with a big thumbs up, and as I went past, I saw the red six sticker on the back. And then I got down to Tweed Heads. And I pulled into the shopping centre, and as I'm pulling out in traffic, it's funny, there's a lady in front of me, and she wouldn't turn in the left lane. She wanted to go in the third lane, and she wouldn't merge one lane by lane. She had to get that third lane, and all she wasn't leaving. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, come on, love, come on. And I get this ding on the phone, and I went, oh, and someone just drove past and took a photo of me going, you didn't wave at me, you prick. <laughs> 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 I'm the red six So it's really, for me, it's, it's oh, oh, you know, um, oh, I, I get such a, a great feeling knowing that... Yeah, that's got to be rewarding, seeing you know, it's just spreading Seeing everywhere. people wearing your own brand. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I get people saying that this... Because once this goes... Once I've actually started getting funding and this app is as per what I want because of this, there's so much more I want to add to this app and there's a few things I want to change on it as we speak now. But again, it costs money, so I want to mm. change the, um, the, the messenger. I want to make it so much simpler. The first version of this app was a lot better. Second version, we're getting there, you know, but again, everything costs money. And yeah. And this space, everything costs a lot of money. Because yeah. Some guy sit down and do all these algorithms and stuff. So we're getting there, you know. It's, it's just a, it'll happen, you know. It won't happen yeah. overnight, but nothing ever does. Nothing that, you know, you get to, there's no glory with that. But problems. still, even yeah. what you, you have right now, I love the concept of it and, like, the fact that when you are pushing that button and you do want help, it's generally going to come from someone who at least has half an idea about where you're coming from and mm. what those issues are going to be. And, I mean, like, I, I think it was, before, like, a year ago or so before the app came out, but, like, I remember one day, one afternoon leaving work and I was coming up with, with the plan for how I was going to neck myself and it was only just lucky that Tommy ended up fucking calling me and you know a, a can, yeah a hundred percent and just 
And we've said it so many times now, it's that just that little thing of talking to someone and someone who can understand where you're coming from makes so much of a difference. And the buttons you've created for the app is, I reckon, makes it so much easier because guys, like that instance where you had the plan to kill yourself, Shane, like, you probably did think to text me, but what do you say? Oh, I was like, no, like, yeah. You even yeah. send me a message yeah. about that. Just yeah. struggling. Whereas it's just a click of the button, button. and then I know oh, I'm going to call Shane. And, yeah. and then I start, I start the conversation because yeah. I know it's going to be yeah. too hard. Yeah, to yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Where are you? you know, yeah. Where are you? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. And straight away you start having the communication, you know. Mm. And again, you're not there to go, well, here you go, here's a magic solution. You're not, we're not going to no, get it. No, that's not but what it's about. Are you extending your hand to him, you think, oh, well, hang on, I'm not alone. Yeah. yeah. I've got someone to talk to. You know what, mate? Just come over and have a beer. Let's go and get shit faced together <laughs> down in town. On there, you know? let's yeah, yeah. It. Let's ring up Stuart Lock and get really shit faced. <laughs> <laughs> I would die. I think I would die. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that anymore. I nearly died trying to keep up with one night. Jesus. But it's it's such a simple tool, you know? And yep. again, as I said before, keep it simple, stupid. If you make it too technical, you know, like oh, I don't want to reach out and Google and, and have to send a message and do that, I just want to push a button. Yeah. And it works. So I'm now at the stage where, yeah, we're looking at people knocking on the door, which is good because yeah. I want to take it. And again, I want to take it further. Um, I've always, veterans is my passion, you know, and, and it always will be mm. until I leave this earth. You know, I'm veteran. And my family, my, my wife and my daughters are so patriotic too that I would love to hand this to my daughter, you know, when she's 18 and say, darling, you're the next generation. Grow this as big as you can. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Now, we're at a stage where the second component of Red Six will be the partners and family because they're the ones who suffer a lot more than us. Yeah, 100%. Well, it's Madison's, you know. You. I'm so passionate about it because there there is open arms and everything, but it's it's tailored to the, to the servicemen, which it should be, but it's like we're in the background, you know, we're, what, what are we doing? Yeah. yeah, how do we help? Even having that awareness. Yeah. You come home and you find your partner, you know, he strangled the cat. He's got your dress on. You don't know what the hell's going on here, you know? Ah, oh, yes, last you know, Thursday. You know him so well. <laughs> <laughs> I know before, I yeah. You know, by getting on to some form of easy-to-use app. Exactly. Signs yeah. and symptoms, awareness, what's available support-wise, who can yeah. I reach out to? Yeah. There's a whole community out there of veteran partners and family, mm. but what are they doing? Yeah. Oh, my God. Some of the... Uh, social media sites that Madison's a part of for uh, spouses and things like that and I'm not going to use that word toxicity but uh, <laughs> just the way that they will you're probably better at describing it like there's no real support between them it's just a massive fuck fight of people just yeah. trying to big dog each other and this is the spouses yeah. like yeah. it's it's insane and you can mm. imagine you know with the app there's a component on there called Nearby so you can click yes. the and see people who are in your same postcode. Mm. Yeah. Imagine you as a partner click that nearby and hit one of your buttons and you saw, shit, I've got four other families that are living around the corner within, yeah. you know, within five kilometers of me. I know if I hit that button, they'll come and talk. Exactly. They might bring a yeah. big mic to sit down and say, right, let's... We've got to bury the cat's body at the back. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> make sure you're going to dress it so it fits me. Yeah. 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 But yeah. that's support. It's not yeah. there, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. I know personally um, there's a few partners groups out there, and one of them I'm very supportive of because I know they take the partners away to retreats. Oh, wow. At, at Operation PTSD. Oh, okay. I'm Donna Reggett who just got the OIM. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. Doing it for 10 years, you know. Just, That's amazing. Just a lovely lady, you know. Yep. She, her heart, you know, like, it's like the alpha male and the female, you know, yeah. alpha together, and we just want to help. Yeah. And, and I've, I've, I spoke to her many times, and she spoke to me about, you know, what, 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 what I want to do. And I said, look, I really want to do this for the partners too. Yeah. And she said, anything they just let me know, you know, like just anything. So we're at a stage now where we're, we're in the background, we're putting something together. That's amazing. And we're presenting it to an organisation to help fund. And I'm going to give it back to the partners. Just say, there you go. You run it. You can tr- you do everything. Mm. But it's more about that awareness and that support. So, again, we're using that community because yeah. the veteran community, we've got a great, we, we, you know, a, a great bunch of guys and girls that, that want to help each other. The partners, they want to too. Yeah. They, to do. they don't know, yeah. Where Once do you start? Man, it's so difficult because, one, you know, you're dealing with your partner's issues. Two, you've got your own problems. Yeah. And three, you're going, well, what do I do? Yeah. So by having the information available to you, and again, once you start using it once, it becomes second nature. Exactly. You know, yeah. you know hit that button, your neighbour's going to go, you know what? Shit, Mike's, I just got a message from Rach. Mike's gone down. Let's mm. go over and say good day, you know. And if yeah. you have two or three families come over with a bottle of wine, we're all going to be wearing dresses and digging holes. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah. But like yeah. saying that about the you know building a community for partners, that's perfect because if Shane's having issues and Madison reaches out to me, well, me and Shane speak the same language. You know, we're yeah. both soldiers. I speak that language to Shane. Madison, she's aware of that culture and that language, but she doesn't speak it as well as I do. Yeah. But someone needs to speak Madison's language to help yeah. her. Mm. So that's what. Yeah, another partner would be yeah. perfect. You know. And I get it a lot. Like I'm very close. With a lot of people um, in this space that are married or, or engaged, you know, and, and when I when I touch base with one of the guys who's having a bad day, the next phone call I make is to their partner, mm. you know, and nine times out of ten the partner breaks down and, and, and lets me know, and then my third phone call is back to the guy and say, "You go and buy your wife a yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 and get one for me, you know, just <laughs> yeah. just, just do something to make it. Yeah, for three seconds I don't care, but just do something. But, Listen to her, you know, because yeah. you've left her now. You, you, you're okay in a sense. Yep. It's drained her as well. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, shit, yeah. yeah. You know, I look at my wife and think, how the hell have you probably been yeah. for 15 years? You know, mm. like, fuck, it takes a strong woman to, to – and she's not the only one. Like, mm. And I'm not the worst case scenario. I've, I've done a lot more that have really gone through hell. Yeah. And I'm thinking, why? Why did you hang around? Mm. You know, I would have left. And, I, and that's just me. I would have mm. gone. But there's something there, you know, but they don't give in. Yeah. And, and, and as I said, behind every good man is a bloody even better woman that's mm. prepared to say, you know what, I'll take this challenge on. Yeah. And I'm not, not going to let you go. Um, and with my wife, when I pushed her away twice, she was that, she clung. You know, she knew this, she just wanted to stick with me. Yeah. And and to this, I'm so glad that she did. Yeah. Because as much as I pushed her away. Yeah, saw through your shit. Yeah. She to, knew, yeah. She had me. She she knew my weakness and she knew you know I was just having a bad time yeah and I and, and I just wanted to push everyone away and then go and finish what I wanted to do mm. you know but she wasn't going to let me go there was more she knew there was more to me and then by giving me two of the beautiful skills I could ever dream of you know and and I come we used to come home from work I used to work for prosecutors and armed guard and I come home from work and as soon as I pull up the two daughters mum would say dad's home get get off your devices turn off the TV. Go and hug dad. So every perfect. day, when I came, and I learned this from another a Kiwi guy I worked with. It was his little little um, little device that he he that's he good. Did. And I, I we went home and, and implemented that too. So the, no matter what dad had been 
experience outside, no matter stresses and what bad thoughts he's having. When he walked in, he had to turn into dad again. Yeah. yeah. And that's yep. what I did, you know. We get the kids, we get them on the bed and we rustle. We leave everything them. at the door. Yeah, yeah. Yep. We tickle, you know. I've got these things called um, slappers and I slap on the belly and I give them the ball, you know. Just, just, and it makes them laugh and it makes me laugh. And yeah. my wife's in the background going, you've got to do it. That's a good yeah. message for all our emergency services workers. Like, especially being a copper, it is so easy to... You know, you finish a shift and for eight hours you've seen some total shit and then to walk in the door and carry it with you. And I know I used to do that a lot. But, yeah, leave it at the door and when you're home, be don't be a police officer. Don't yeah. even think about anything like that. Just be, you know, well, be see, a dad my, or whatever. My dad, when I grew up, um, he he was Borneo uh, era. So, he went over Borneo and, and somewhere else. Obviously, I don't, we don't get along too well these days. Um, and he was a closed book. I never got anything from him, you know. No, we didn't even do Anzac Day back in those days. Um, so I never got any information from him. And then he joined, well, he wasn't actually with the police, but he was a public servant, worked for the police for 25 years. And he, he had that PTSD, but this is the old days. Yeah. In the radio room, there's been KB and smoke in there. You know, with the radio, there was no, no laws and things. It was all, all good. So they were the stone cold people, you know, like, like most of them veterans, you know. Yeah. You've got to get their trust before they chat to you. Um, mm. And once you've got that, they'll, you know, they'll have a chat to you in private. Um, so I never learned anything from Dad. It was, just, it was just a shame. But I tried to break that culture. I remember when I moved up to from Sydney up to Tweed Heads um, and I went and saw a new doctor. I took my daughter, was probably nine at that stage, and I'm chatting to the new doctor just trying to get um, some medication. And I told her my story, you know, PTSD, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then when I got home, I think I was dealing with, with something to do with the app. You know, under attack, someone was going to steal the idea and um, run off with it. And I remember slamming the table at home going, damn it. I didn't say damn it. To that effect. You know, I said, that's it. I've had enough. I'm over this. I'm sick of these people. You know, blah, blah. And she just came up and rubbed my back. And she said, Dad, it's okay. Oh. And I'm sitting there going, this is a nine-year-old girl who's just heard me tell my PTSD story to the doctor. Come home and she's rubbed my back and I went, you know what? This is the fourth time I've ever cried in my life. Yeah. <laughs> I just had to, you know, yeah. embrace her and thought, there's always someone watching me in my house, which is good. Mm. I work on my swearing every now and again. With <laughs> and they remind me too, we had a swear jar that I think in the first week we did over Phil. Oh, God. <laughs> we had a couple of new names. I said, look, it's not manly to yell at kerfuffle or... Or Mr. Fluffy or something. Just it just doesn't have an aggression about it, you know? Yeah. But... Yeah, uh, my wife and kids have been my, my saviour um, and also the fact that I've created something that I can be proud of yeah. and that's being utilised by the veteran community. And again, it's only been out for just over six months. Yeah. Yeah, it's brand new. Yeah, years, it is. You know, and we'll have everyone wearing it. You know, yeah, well, that's why we're happy to have you on and like get the word out about the Red Six app because, you know, me and Shane believe in it and it's you know what we've done this is our 15th episode of the podcast and we never know if any episode is actually helping anyone but I guarantee <laughs> this, this, one will. this episode <laughs> yeah. is actually helping people if not actually saving lives so. I'll give you a prank call going hello <laughs> 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 
Yeah, send in your feedback, guys. <laughs> yeah. uh, Mike, thanks for coming on to the show, mate. We really appreciate it. Pleasure, boys. And, appreciate uh, it. Like I said, guys, the Red Six app, check it out. Um, it's definitely going to be helping a lot of veterans out there. So, um, yeah, we yeah. believe in it. And, it's yeah. available on Apple and Google. Mm. And it's under the, under the word six with an asterisk. S-I-X asterisk. People look at Google six and it comes up with six second abs. No one wants that. Most of blokes say, look at all these pictures of blokes. Oh, yeah, no one wants that. <laughs> we'll, we'll put up a link. In yeah, absolutely. I do suppose about it. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on, mate. No, I really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Come back again. Yeah, mate. We'd love to have Because I'm sure there's a lot more stories yeah. that yeah. we can well, get I'm out of you. Just for the stories alone. Yeah. After dark session. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Adults only. <laughs> I like it. All right, until next time, maladjusted monkeys, we're out.